Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 8.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. this Methodism May worship series last week with our sacraments, baptism and Holy Communion, because they are so critical and foundational to who we are as people. And today we're going to start on this mini journey of grace, for there is nothing as unique in all of Christendom as the way Methodism understands God's grace. Grace is unmerited favor by our Lord and Savior. It is God giving to us when we do not deserve. And yet by that gift, God makes us worthy. And it encapsulates not only pardon and forgiveness, but liberty, freedom, and the ability to try again and again and again if we need it. And so today we start on the first movement of grace. In the United Methodist Church, we don't understand that God has compartmentalized grace and gives us little pieces, but instead that it is one flowing vision and encounter with the divine. And the first of that would be, as is in your bulletins, prevenient grace, which is a lot easier to say than to spell. And yet it's critical for us. Prevenient grace, the pre meaning goes before, it's the concept that God is at work even before we understand it, that God has loved us and has set things in motion for us before we ever even discovered that we need that. It's God looking ahead and making sure that everything is ready and waiting when we become willing. Now, throughout Christendom, there's this understanding of grace, that grace exists and that that is the way in which we are saved. But when we talk about prevenient grace in the United Methodist Church, we're talking about a very specific way of understanding how God is moving in the world and in us. Because we understand in the Methodist Church that even our faith is a gift, a sign of prevenient grace, the grace that comes before, that in order for us to even believe that God has had to make that possible, God extends to us the ability to say, I do want to believe. I want Jesus Christ for my Savior, and I want all the grace that comes from that. <laughs> now, other Christians within our family tree will ask questions like, have you found Jesus? In the Methodist Church, we don't think we have to go to find Jesus. We understand that when we finally determine that we will open our eyes and our hearts and listen and receive God's truth, that we discover that Jesus hasn't been out there somewhere, but that Jesus has been with us all along. And that when we turn and discover that God has never abandoned us or left us to wander alone, we discover that God's grace has simply opened our eyes to the truth. That God has been with us from the very beginning, working for us and inside of us. With that opening up new possibilities, we are suddenly able to encounter the fullness of God's presence, power, 
and love. It's important for us as Methodists. Many of you were thinking, why is she reading from the book of Exodus on Mother's Day? I know. Part of me wanted to do the part about the wedding in Cana where mom was like, do this. And he was like, fine, woman. But that was not also where we needed to go. Instead, we needed to be here. Because if you look at this scripture again closely, you'll discover that this early in the Bible, God has set up our worship here today. That everything that you see is the culmination of what God began all the way back in Exodus, before they ever got to the promised land. God says it to them. I want you to offer me in the morning and in the evening a lamb. And that required the people to gather and to be in relationship, in the presence of our Lord, in the morning and in the evening, bookending their day with their God. Offer this lamb, God says to me. And over time, we will understand that the lamb that actually gets offered for us today in 2017 was Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. That that was the lamb that is offered. And every morning and every evening, we live and breathe and move by that grace. And so as we continue, we discover that also God said, I need a grain offering and a wine offering. And if you were with us last week, that echoes communion. It's foreshadowing, bless you, it's foretelling the fact that grain and wine will be part of this remembrance, this relationship, that through that, God will seek to bless, to remind, and to bring us even deeper into relationship with our Lord and one another, as happens when we gather at Christ's table for Holy Communion. The grain and the wine become a constant theme throughout the scripture, And long before Jesus is even born, long before Jesus ever gives us Holy Communion, the table has been set. And if we continue even further, we discover God declaring that I need you to gather and make these throughout your generations. God says to them, you will do it at the tent of meeting, otherwise known as the tabernacle. And when they enter into the promised land, they will make the tabernacle into the temple. It will become that four-wall building where they worship and they gather and they hear God speaking to them. They can recognize God's presence in their midst. And there the people erect the temple in the very midst of their city, living and surrounding it in their daily lives. And what will happen is that over time, not only do they erect this temple and they gather there and they worship and they praise God and they remember with great gratitude in their hearts all that God has done to lead them to this land flowing with milk and honey where they are safe and secure. They can worship without fear of any other retribution. But then it sets the stage for this today. Because even before 70 AD, when the Roman authorities destroyed that temple and the people scattered into the world and they went into the farthest reaches, continents far away, and they started to think we had something then. We had this place in our midst and we want it again. And so out of wood and then later brick and mortar and today steel and cement, they started building houses for themselves, their worship And yes, they're God. And they started to build them where they were. 
And before Christianity fully separated, they built synagogues. And later on, they started building churches of Jesus Christ. And there the people gathered together. And in the morning on the Lord's day, they would praise the Lord. They would worship. They would bring their offerings to the same place that God told them to build and to consecrate the altar within the tent of meeting. And God said, you will need help. I will consecrate Aaron and his sons to be your clergy. And they will lead you and guide you and encourage you and challenge you and help you to be all that I created and envisioned you to be. And so God set the stage not only for our houses of worship, but for our clergy, for the way in which we would gather today. And why do we do this? The text tells us, I want to dwell among you. I will be your God, and you will know that I am the Lord your God, the one who liberates, who frees, who first brought the people out of their captivity and bondage in Egypt. And I brought you out that I might dwell among you, for I am the Lord your God. All the way back in Exodus, the scenery and the stage was being set for this. We are part of a plan that far exceeds the ability to fathom that far back in not only humanity, but in the life of the church. That even before we recognized that we would need this place and ordered this way, God had given it to us and encouraged us and edified us. But the thing about God's grace is, this provenient grace, is that God does not force it on us. God doesn't say open wide, it's coming. Instead, God says, this is the gift for you. I want you to have it. And some days we take it and we just cherish it to the nth degree. And sometimes we think to ourselves, God, not right now. I am stressed and I am tired and I am busy. And this is so hard. You're just going to have to hold on to that for a little bit longer. Can you give me till tomorrow? And tomorrow turns into days and weeks and months and sometimes 10 years or more, God was holding on to that grace for us. And then one day when we're ready, God, yes, please, can I have it now? And God isn't like us. God doesn't say, no, you missed that train. God doesn't say, do you know how long I've been holding on to this? You're ungrateful, and now you never get it. Instead, God says, of course, I've been holding on to this for you. It's yours. Take it. Be blessed. Be loved and free. And so God has modeled for us time and time again what it means to be people of free will and to be able to accept when we are ready. You know, we try to raise children to be gracious. We try to raise them to understand what it means when someone gives you a gift because no one has to give you a gift, even on Mother's Day. You don't have to have a gift. And so I have a seven-year-old that I'm trying to train to be gracious. And I do emphasize train. It is not innate. So many times he'll receive a gift and he'll say, oh, I didn't want that. That's not even the right color. Who thought that was a good idea? Not what we're going for. And so we work at it and we work at it. But I'll admit, I was there too. There were plenty of times where I thought, this is the most useless thing I have ever received. Thank you. In the stead, I want to take that moment and show you how provenient grace 
is exemplified in our daily lives. So when I was in middle school, one of my very good friends, Meg, went way out on a limb and probably into the sphere of vulnerability and gave me for my birthday a CD. And it was a CD that she loved, that she listened to, that was very meaningful for her. And I got that CD and I went, oh, because it's not really my genre. It's not really my style. And so I thanked her for it and I tucked it away and moved on. And then as I got a little older and I was in the midst of having worn out my Nirvana collection, decided that I needed to find something else to listen to, that I needed to expand my repertoire. And so as I searched through something else to listen to in my CD collection, I came upon that CD and there was this CD by a band called Wilson Phillips. And I looked at it and I thought, what harm could it do? If I play Nirvana one more time, my mother's going to make me meet Jesus. And so I stuck it into my CD drive and I listened to it. And the first song coming out of all of these feminine, harmonious voices was Hold On. Hold On Just One More Day. And now this is not a song that you'll find us playing on the organ at 11 o'clock worship. But it is a song that over the years... I have thought to myself, Jesus, just one more day. Help me hold on just one more day. I have sung it on long car rides. I have hummed it in my head as I was at the end of my rope. I have listened to that song. And over time now, I realize that my dear friend, who I remember every time I hear Wilson Phillips, was risking rejection to give me a piece of something that was so valuable to her. Something that exposed her to ridicule or rejection because we all know that there's a point where nice little girls can drift into mean girl mode. And yet she gave me that gift. And even now, I still have that CD. I don't listen to it. I live stream the music now. But I listen to the words and I think back to judging that CD by its cover and thinking this is not for me but it was for me it was specifically for me planned and intentional and when I finally was willing to open my eyes there it was and I have cherished it ever since and so provenient grace is about having everything ready for when we who are slightly foolish and fractured human beings finally go, you know, I might want some of that. Maybe I could try it and see. And God says, yes, this is for you. Now that same child that I'm trying to teach to be gracious and humble I tried out Provenient Grace on, and I said, this is Provenient Grace. And my child looked at me and said, that is an awful name. And I said, you watch your mouth. John Wesley came up with that word. And he said, I don't care. That's awful. You see the running theme here? And I said, well, what would you call it? And he said, you should just call it First Grace. Not bad, little man. Not bad. 
first grace, that first encounter, that first time that we realize that there's something more than just tithing. There's something more than just checking off an attendance box. That first time that we realize that faith is more than just knowing the Apostles' Creed and rambling it off at will. Faith is more. It is about changing everything. Who we are, how we act, the way we speak, the way we feel about other people. Faith is about radically changing everything so that this starts to feel more like the creation that it was intended to be. And that we start to look more like the Savior who gave everything for us. Provenient grace is the start of that journey. And every now and then, we start to recognize what a powerful gift it was. My son is going to get hurt. It's going to happen. One day, my son is going to fall and skin his knee, as he's done before. And when he does, he comes to me and says, I'm hurt. And I say to him, let us go into the bathroom. And there in the closet, I get out peroxide, and I get out cotton swabs, and I get out neosporin, and a Band-Aid, preferably Scooby-Doo. I have learned my lesson. And I clean his wound, and I tend to him, and I bandage it up, and I encourage him to go and try again. And if that isn't provenient grace, I'm not really sure what is. That before we are hurt, before we are fractured and injured and we need our divine parent to comfort us, God is ready, willing, able, and right here. Because we are going to get hurt in this life. We are going to need to know that God Almighty cares about little old us. And God is always ready to give us what we need. God is ready, waiting, anticipating that we are going to need help because there are going to be days where we are overwhelmed and the future looks very dark and depressing. And there are days where we are going to need to know that God is here for us. There are days that we are going to need to know that God has already placed people in our lives to be bastions for our sorrow so that there will be those who will mourn with us. There will be those who can listen to our cries about injustice And there will be those who, yes, will even celebrate with us, who will invest themselves in our lives to have the joy that comes with being in relationship with other people without any bonds to that, without the idea that we do it because we have to do it, but instead we do it because we want to. And so God has created this network, this fabric of community. That's what those kits are about. Now, we know that, unfortunately for pregnant women, when your baby is coming, your baby is coming. And that's going to happen whether or not your community just experienced a natural disaster. We know it's going to happen whether or not you are ready with a full hospital that is staffed with electricity and potable water. We know that whether or not you think it's time when your baby is coming, your baby is coming. And we also know that it happens right after tornadoes and hurricanes, earthquakes, fires, droughts. It happens. And the United Methodist Church, in an act of provenient grace, has decided that it will not wait until that day to start getting ready and react. Instead, it has decided to prepare so that it may respond with love, kindness, mercy, and compassion 
those kits that we will make, many of them will be Layette kits, which will go to new mothers so that when their home has been swept away, when they have nothing to their name but the clothes that are dirty and shredded on their body, when they are unsure how they are going to care for their child, someone from the United Methodist Committee on Relief will hand them a kit and they will know that they are not alone, that they are loved, and that God is with them. And that is what provenient grace feels like in our hour of need. We are going to join with hundreds, if not thousands of churches, hundreds of thousands of Methodists in Virginia to be a means of grace through something as simple to us as a kit. And when you take that tag and you think to yourself, how are onesies going to change the world? Think to yourself, one vulnerable, hurt, scared heart at a time. This will be a means of grace for someone. They will touch it and they will hold it. And they will look into the eyes of the Christian who is handing it to them. Because I have learned that one of the greatest gifts of grace in our church is the United Methodist Committee on Relief, otherwise known worldwide as UMCOR. And UMCOR isn't just good, it's great. I have friends in the military who do disaster relief. I have friends who are paid employees of the Red Cross. And I can tell you that nine out of ten times when a disaster happens worldwide, UMCOR beats them both. UMCOR is there. They have all of these means that they have gathered and prepared, consecrated and prayed over, discerned what would be appropriate. And then when the need is there, they give and they give and they listen and they respond. When Haiti happened and our military forces and the Red Cross had to mobilize, UMCOR was already there. They already had a site. They were already at work. And they just continued to give more. Because that's what it means to be a means of grace in the United Methodist Church. Nobody turned around at any point and said, now that you've taken all of this, how about a donation? Now that you've taken all this, I think it's time for this entire village to become Methodist. That never happened. They never said that. The response that comes is, glory to God that we can help you. Go and do likewise. We are part of a plan that God has put into place to bless other people. And provenient grace means that we are being changed so that we can help affect change in the world. This is exactly what we pray and hope. And quite frankly, at this point, we're pretty sure is going to happen when our youth and their adult chaperones go to Richmond this summer in the hot of July in Richmond. Our youth are going to go and sleep on floors and have to take cold showers and eat whatever is placed in front of them so that they can work all day in the heat and the blistering sun to make necessary repairs for people who are unable and physically cannot afford to do it. They fight for that as if it were a gift and a privilege because they understand in a way 
that adults sometimes forget that it is a gift to bless other people. And they do this, and they come back changed. They come back with hearts of gratitude, understanding that someone envisioned young Christians changing the world, and they likewise do it one house, one homeowner at a time. And so when people say to me, what's so great about the Methodist church? How much time do you have? Because there's so many wonderful things that go on here. And it's not that our God is greater than any other church's God. It's not that Jesus is more real here than it is for any other denomination. But it's that our people respond to God's grace in unparalleled ways. And as someone who has tasted that, has been a recipient, and who has been changed forever by it, thank God for the people of the United Methodist Church. May we take this gift of provenient grace and let it work within us as individual disciples and among us as this congregation. And may we share it with everyone with whom we meet. May it be so in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.